0: De la this is Carol. A this is Welcome to
1: the Peace Corps Tales podcast. This is episode number six. This podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Corps or U.S. government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for informational purposes only and to allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Corps Tales from vets. Let's get to the tales.
0: Hi everyone, we're gonna take a quick break to do a shout out to Musco. Musco is a creative house specialized in branding design and art direction. So we're doing this shout out because he helped us make our Peace Corps logo and also our podcast graphic image for the podcast. Musco works with communities and individuals who want to make the world a better place through awareness, education, and social change. So we are very thankful for Musco and everything that he's done for our podcast. He really took our ideas and made it into something fantastic. We literally just told him a few things and he was able to create the graphic designs that we really wanted without (laughs) being too much guidance for him. So he is a great graphic designer. So if you want anything done like flyers, posters, uh, logos, images, Please find Musco at www.musco.house. That is www.musco.house. And Musco's motto is, the doors are open, the ideas are inside. Now back to the show.
1: So the invitee today is a very friend is a dear friend of mine. We actually met here in Bogota and it was actually through a Facebook group of RPCVs I posted I was coming back home. I my social group was very, very small here in my home country. So I just posted saying if there are any RPCVs in Colombia that wanted to get in touch with me. I'd be more than welcome, and a friend of hers actually tagged her, mm-hmm. and one day we got an, I got an email, I think, and the rest is history. We've been friends for two years now. Yeah. So,
2: thank you for having me. My name is Elena. I served in the Dominican Republic for two years, 2005 to 2007 in a town called El Sable, in the, the east part of the island, and it was about, I would say, a 100,000 population, and I was in the youth, family, and community development sector.
1: How do you guys talk, uh, like, you know, they speak Spanish, obviously, in Dominican Republic, but what was, like, their regular greeting? Hola, que lo que. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, are, they are all about the Tigre, right? Yeah, Tigre, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just dive into your tale. Why did you decide to join the Peace Corps? Well, I always
2: loved traveling, and um, I always wanted to, like, live in a different country and not just, like, be working there and do something a little bit more than that so um and i wanted to try to serve in a latin american country or the caribbean and they chose the dominican republic for me so that was great and i wanted to use some of the skills the social work skills i learned in undergrad and things like that in the community were you surprised that you were going to the dr no i was like okay it's actually okay it's close i was like thinking maybe latin america but i i didn't it was it was a new program at the time Like it was a pilot program. So I was like, okay, why not? Let's do it.
1: Cool. Okay, so you did service quite a few years back. I don't know if it's changed from our experience, but... Let's go back to those memories from pre-service training. Can you give us like one highlight or like one best memory that you have from that time?
2: Our pre-service training, first it was in the capital and then we all, and that was the whole group, right? But then we broke into our sectors like water, youth or other sectors, community development. So ours was in a place called Nagua, and it was on the coast I really loved that it was a smaller town, and I could hear the ocean at night. And so that was just a really nice time because it was just our small youth group.
1: Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. That sounds lovely. I think if I go to the Dominican Republic, I would be just lost in a club dancing bachata all day, every day. That's also (laughs) Maybe that's why I wasn't chosen to go there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but there's a lot of distractions.
1: During your pre-service training, what were your living conditions? Did you get to live with a host family or were you guys all together like in a facility or what was that experience like? And
2: yeah, we all lived in host families, one in the capital. And then when we went out into our individual group uh, pre-service training, so I had like one or two families in the capital of Santo Domingo and then one in Nagua. So yes, it was like a family. And then I had a couple of Peace Corps volunteers next to me that lived next to me when we were in pre-service training in the capital. So that was nice.
1: Can you give it like, how was your family? Like, was it like a mom and a dad, brothers and sisters? Was it like more like a smaller family?
2: The first host family, it was just the mom, dad, and a brother. And then um, I asked, I had to leave that family actually and I was placed in a different one and the second one was a lot better and also the one in Nagua was a mother father and like older children it was it was really nice
0: what was your last host family that you had before you actually transitioned to your site the one from Nagua I think yeah okay so when you transferred from that site until you were actually placed at your small town where you got to live for two years how did Peace Corps help you what was the process Let's
2: see. Well, they had already chosen my host family and I knew about them. I think I was excited, maybe a little nervous that the housing conditions were different because it was um a smaller home and it was like, you know, the tin roof and um, like wood walls and stuff like that. But the but the my host mom, she was great and super super hospitable. I'm trying to see. I think we got like some moving allowance or something like that to move our stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was there for three or four, maybe five months.
1: And then for us, then we had a choice to move and get our own place. I don't know. That happened to you also? No, it's very different. But I think it's probably like the norm in Latin America. But for us, it was very, very different. We just had our home from the get-go. Oh, so, okay, yeah. So I had
2: my host family. I started with them, and I, like, learned the neighborhood and, you know, where to go and how to walk around. And it was great because I had my own little family already set up when I had my own place. So I went back, like, you know, once a week to visit and, you know— and say how you're doing and and have a meal together. That was nice.
0: Oh, nice. Was there anything that Peace Corps had to make sure that they checked off and did once they dropped you off at your, I guess, first host family?
2: (laughs) Yeah, they had to make sure that, like, you know, you have your own private room and, like, running water, like, most of the time. um, Running water? What? (laughs) Sometimes. I mean, at least they have, like, a shower. Like, during the day, the water would turn off, but it would be early morning and late at night so people could, you know, do the dishes and take a shower. But you would save water, you know, in the big buckets so you Mm -hmm. could still, like, take a bucket shower, you know, during the day. So I think it was that. It was mostly that you had your own private room in the house and that it was safe.
0: Nice. Uh, Well, you lived in a bougie site then because you had running water. So, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wasn't it wasn't bougie, but yes, we had water. Like they, it
2: all shut down like around ten or ten thirty, and so people would fill up their buckets so they would have water for the day. And then at night you would refill, and or you would also collect rainwater.
0: Yeah, that's how it was for me in Tuliar, Although it never rained there, so we would have the shut ups though, where we like turn off throughout the day, and then we'd just be screwed. <laughs> What were three highlights from throughout your service? So just like accomplishments or just everyday kind of highlights that you really can remember even to this day that Peace Corps gave you?
2: in the second year one of the main projects i did with the community was create a, a small like little library because we were on the outskirts of the um, main town and so it was dirt road so when it rained people wouldn't go into town because you couldn't it was dangerous and so so kids wouldn't be able to get access to any computer or like a library to do any homework to like investigate so that, you know, that, that whole process and the cutting ceremony and having all the community members who participated. That was pretty amazing to see, because it was just a dirt floor, you know? And then to see it like, I don't know what how it is now, but hopefully it's still working. <laughs> That's one. I think another would be the camp that we put on with my other um, volunteer friends and the youth. We did this really great diversity camp with the youth. They really enjoyed it. And I think they learned a lot that they they were exposed to information that they hadn't seen before, you know, that they're not gonna get in public education. I guess seeing this one youth who, when I first met him, like the first maybe month, he was like this tough guy and we're still friends today. And he, I don't know, we became friends and then he started joining the youth group and now, and then by the time I left, he became a youth leader and was like leading everyone else, which is the whole idea, like not to depend on us, you know, and have them take the lead. I think his story is one of my best and now he's a father and I see his pictures on Facebook and he's just like the proudest dad
1: and is the best dad ever. <laughs> Oh, my God. That is amazing to see the evolution, right? Yeah, like you yeah. you actually got to see that. Yes.
2: Yeah. So th- I would say that would be the third piece. Did you have more to say or was that it? No, those
0: are the top three. I mean, there's some other moments, but those are the top three that come to mind. Okay, great. Uh, well, that sounds cool. Looking at your facial expressions, even though our listeners can't see what we see, it seems like a pretty amazing moment. <laughs> um last I did want to say I know during our meet and greet when we said something I was asking you about your WTF moment and you were saying that you didn't really know what that would be because it's been a while but uh, I wanted to know did you think of a moment did you think of what was that like WTF like oh my goodness I this would only happen because I'm in the DR and would never happen where I usually live I guess one moment it wasn't like super crazy but it's one of
2: my favorite moments and it's very cultural to the DR and El Cebo's about, what, three hours, I think, from the capital. I don't remember how long the bus ride. Maybe two or three hours, max. And I would catch the first bus in the morning, like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. You know, it's kind of early. And it was common for people to transport their chickens on the bus also. So we have the chickens, but not just the chickens, but it would be like 6.30 a.m. And the driver would be, like, playing his bachata music. And it was just, like, so peaceful, like hearing the chickens and the bachata music at 6 30 a.m. and everyone just kind of excited to go to the Capitol. Like we were all just riding together like a big family and there was just special moment. It seems simple but it was like you know in, in the United States you would never hear bachata music or chickens. You know everyone's <laughs> listening to their own music and you can't bring animals unless it's a service animal on the bus. So I think I was like, Yeah, I'm really here. This is this is, and it's it's normal. That's a normal bus ride. So I have to say that.
1: <laughs> it sounds like there is like a common theme among posting countries for Pisco, right? Like the chickens or any kind of animal in public transportation. Mm-hmm. Very loud music, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Or bachata reggaeton, mm-hmm. gospel music. I think that's just like the standard for all of us. <laughs>
0: I feel like you lucked out, though. You said that you enjoyed the bachata music. I know for me and Carol, it was like awful gospel, like horrible voice music. And we were just like headphones on. Let's ignore the sound because we can't handle it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the bachata music, it would be like the slow kind. And
1: it's its nice. It's relaxing, actually. So just I enjoy it. This is why I'm saying that if I do go to DR, I think I'm just going to be would, trapped in that island forever. Would, yeah, you would stay there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to those memories, is there one specific, either one or two moments that you were like, "Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, this is my life as a peaceful volunteer"?
2: I think I would say in the process of forming the youth groups and having them come together as a group and learn how to work as a group to do a project. And and to see the other youth step up was also amazing. So I think, like, towards the end when the group was solid and everyone kind of had their role, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have to do much. Do you know what I mean? So like, you saw the magic happening. Yeah, I would say I think that was, yeah, pretty amazing, and – also, just the relationships in general that I formed with the other community members when they I could see they trusted me. That was big because there was a point when, yeah, you're an outsider. Yes, you're a volunteer. But when you're living and working in the same community, then you're part of the community. Yeah. So it's when, you know, like they don't see you just as a volunteer, but someone there as part of the community. That's I think that was a highlight.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, I think getting to that, you know, passing that point is very heartwarming, right? When you are mm-hmm. no longer... Like in our case, will be the vasaha, which is how they call foreigns in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. You're no longer the Balsa but you are like, you become Carol or you mm-hmm. become that person in the community. Right, yeah. exactly. How do they call foreigns in DR? I think the same gringos. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all these memories and all these moments in DR, I want to switch back to daily life. Can you think of like that Dominican dish that mm-hmm. you are like, oh my God, this is delish. I really like this. Did you learn how to cook it? Yeah, actually, and that's,
2: I think, maybe that's why they had us be with host families first. So I learned how to cook a lot, and I watched my host mom. I love to cook anyways. So I watched her and I learned how to cook some uh, Dominican dishes, um, like their rice and chicken, and they add a little sugar in it, and it just adds a, a nice little flavor. They caramelize the sugar first with the onions before you put the chicken in. Um, so I watched her a lot, and I I cooked like most of my meals. I mean, in, on the weekends I would you know I'd go into town and ma- eat with friends sometimes, but you know making patacones, which is the you know the plantains, the fried plantains. Those were always good, and people ate every day, you know, I would say those fried plantains, so good. Yeah, and the rice and chicken, I forget what else I made. Did you make mangu? Is it how I know how call it? To, yeah, I know how to make it. I think I made it, like, once, yes. Do you like it? Yes, it's it's delicious. It's For delicious.
1: our listeners, mangu is this dish out of plantains. They're, mm-hmm. like, a mash. It's mashed. They're, mo-
2: like, boiled and mashed, and then it's mixed with, like, red onions and, like vinegar and salt and it's just delicious
1: (laughs) yeah i might be missing an
2: ingredient but that's what i remember do you still make them i make patacones i make tostones no here in colombia they say patacones but in dominican republic they're called tostones so yes i still make them dominican style because you fry them twice Oh, that's a trick? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> you, fry, you fry, you cut them, you fry nice. them, and then you smash them. And then after the smash,
1: you refry them just for like a few seconds. Oh, so it's the same thing here. I thought you meant like you fry them and then, I don't know. I was just like being crazy, but yeah. it's very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that thing that you really either enjoy doing during your daily routine mm-hmm. or that one short that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this do this every single day or like once a week or whatever. Yeah. Well, I
2: enjoy, I like cleaning and this was fun because
1: other, so the floors are
2: cement like a smooth cement cause like rugs aren't necessary as hot. So you needed that cool floor. And so like on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings, people would be cleaning their floor, but with like blasting bachata music and I would do the same thing. And it was so fun. I'd be like, I'm washing my floor with my music up high and everyone's walking by and saying hello. Oh, look, okay. She's washing her floor too. And like my doors open. I loved
1: it. I loved it. (laughs) So that was fun. Super fun. I can picture you dancing bachata as you are, like, sweeping your floor yeah, and watching it. it you,
2: you sweep it, then you mop it with the water, and you toss the, the water from the bucket out the door. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone cleans the same ways, and so that's how I learned from watching other people clean. Every culture has their own way of cleaning. Yeah. So... <laughs>
0: I will say it was only in Madagascar where I actually would like sweep outside my door instead of like pick it up with a little duster and throw it in the trash like we do in the States or where like if I did use like dirty water yeah I would just go outside and toss it out into the like dirt right by my house or something but to think about doing that here in the States it's like so taboo where you just go toss it in a toilet or you toss it down the sink or if you sweep you sweep it up into a dustpan and then you throw it in the trash like no one d- opens their door and just like sweeps it out. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. Yeah, it's, I can find the similarities between like my life in Madagascar and what you just said because it is true. Like that little detail, like you never think about it, but it is such a huge difference. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And now that you mention it, I remember when my mom came to visit my site in Madagascar. I had to leave my house to run an errand. And I came back and my sisters were really upset because my mom had wasted I don't know how many buckets what, like cleaning my house just as you described. Mm. And they are like, "Mom, like people like you know it's hard for them to get water and you're just wasting all these buckets cleaning Carol's house even though she already cleaned it before you came, <laughs> but it's never up to her standards." Mm-hmm. So I think it's just the Latino uh, culture of like, like the way o- cleaning overcleaning, over like OCD cleaning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, that would explain my mom. I never got it, though. I refused. (laughs) Let's switch gears a little bit. Can you think about your most fun vacation time from your host country? What was that?
2: Let's see. I think I have two. One was going to the peninsula of Samana, and it has, like, amazing waterfalls, and I went with a couple of friends so that's one of like kind of like a vacation spot but the best one was climbing the highest peak in the dominican republic with a couple of friends i've i think it was like a three three or four days and at that point i wasn't like a hiker but they had we had the donkeys with us so if we needed to ride with them that was fine it was pico duarte and we made it to the top the summit and that was amazing because in the, coming down i was very it was i was very tired after but it was—it's like I think it's one of the highest peaks in the Caribbean. I, I'll have to look that up, but it's pretty high. <laughs> but that was an amazing thing because not—it's something that the volunteers wanted to do, but not everyone could because you—you have to be somewhat healthy and in shape to do it. And we made it. It was like three of us. No, it was four of us. We made it up and we camped and all that stuff.
0: Dang. How did you plan that like adventure? Was it like with a tour or? Did you guys just find some local people that you were close to and said like, hey, can you guide us? (laughs) Or did you just go yourselves?
2: We didn't go by ourselves because we had the donkeys and and there there was a guide that took us up. There were some parts that you had to be
0: really careful or else. (laughs) (laughs) So going with that momentum of or else, uh, what was your most horrific moment throughout Peace Corps?
2: I think it was maybe when I had a little motorcycle accident.
0: (laughs) Ooh, do tell.
2: (laughs) Well, so in the Dominican Republic, it's common to have like up to four or five people on one motorcycle. And, you know, very common to carry things, Um, the tank of gas or uh, a refrigerator, anything. I've seen everything. You put it on your lap and the driver takes you because it's motorcycle taxis, no, which are very common. So we were going up back to, I was with my host mom and the driver, and I think we. she was carrying something and I was on the back. And we were going up the little hill to our neighborhood, and I guess the weight wasn't distributed right, and the wheels were uh, slipping, and we kind of just flipped backwards, and we all fell down, but but luckily, none of us got hurt, but that was scary, because, you know, in the United States, I wasn't used to riding, that's not normal, unless you own one, we don't ride motorcycles. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, that was scary, um, but we all made it out okay, um, because it could have been bad, so... I would say that was a scary moment. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think that would be extremely scary. Did you get bruised? Like, do you remember if you were all bruised up or?
2: Oh, yeah, I think I had some scratches, of course. I mean, it was like 95 degree weather and, you know, it's rocks and and dirt road going up. So, yes, I I know I had some scratches (laughs) on there for sure.
0: So the fact that you were able to ride motorcycles, though, because I know in Madagascar, I don't know if it's similar all across the board at Peace Corps, but at least in Madagascar, we would have been uh, terminated if we were seen on a motorcycle. And so I guess that was just so common of transportation for you that it wasn't a termination aspect. (laughs)
2: No, I mean, the termination aspects were with helmets, because if you didn't wear the helmet, then you would be terminated.
0: So I am curious, did being a youth, I think you said you're like a youth volunteer, what was it?
2: Mm -hmm. Youth, family, and community development.
0: Yes. Okay. So since you're that type of volunteer, are you now continuing that kind of work professionally?
2: Yeah. So after Peace Corps, you know, I went back to the States and I worked in, you know, the foster care system as a social worker for a while, and then I worked for four years in the public school system in Washington, D.C., so working with large groups of children and adolescents, like with in, in the D.R., like the youth group was sometimes like 30 or 40, but in D.C., like our classes were like 25, so it wasn't like as much, so working with large groups and managing a large groups of children and adolescents or teenagers, definitely, that helped me prepare for that in here in the States. And just like interacting with every day, like not just during the group, but like also walking on the street or just hanging out, you know, interacting with them every day. So I would say that and just getting like really good field experience and working together with the community. What do you do now
0: with the youth or do you work with youth?
2: Yeah, no, right now I'm an English teacher here, but I'm starting a new project that helps other like, I'm adopted, so I'm also starting something to help other adult adoptees search for their families, but also with, like, emotional guidance before, during, and after uh, the search, because it's it's pretty complex. So it's like I'm using more of my social work skills right now with that piece. But actually, I've used a lot of my social work skills in teaching also, because it's a relationship, and a lot of times students have anxiety or whatever, and it's that can um impede their uh, ability to perform and speak,
0: yeah, I just want to clarify for our listeners first is that Elena's is in Colombia right now, she's not in the United States, so that is why she's teaching English at the moment. Just if any of you guys were confused, I just wanted to clarify that good clarification, <laughs> but wow, that is a really good work that like that's really impactful, and that seems really interesting of what you're doing with like your career professionally and just everything that you're kind of going for just based off your own life experience and making sure to use that to help others. So that seems really cool.
2: Yeah, I think it's like everything's coming together. The personal, my professional career. And, you know, I'm living technically, even though I was born here, but I grew up in the States. This is my, um, I'm outside of the States. It's still technically international if you want to, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think
1: everything's coming together now that you put it that way. It's like she's actually more Colombian than I am. <laughs> she knows more people, more places. It's like I never live here, and she's like she's lived here her whole life. <laughs> we su- we switch bodies. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) Um, Talking about a little bit of the the emotional support that you're Mm -hmm. going to be providing with your new project. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that But during your service. How do you feel or how do you think that you maintain your personal health and your emotional well-being? Because it can be very stressful for some volunteers. can be very lonely Mm -hmm. or you're anxious. People can get very anxious or depressed. So many things that can go through your mind, you know. I
2: think it's important to have boundaries because because you live
1: in the community
2: it's easy to work all day in one aspect so you have to have time to yourself whether that's leaving your site and visiting another Peace Corps friend I think having just even just your three tightest Peace Corps friends that you can call any or visit is really important that you don't have to feel bad about oh I'm having a hard time you know because you have a lot of high type A people that want to do a lot but it's I I would like to stress that it's Peace Corps is more than about like what you do it's it's about the relationships and how you also grow as a person so you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be the best and I think sometimes people think that or maybe it's an American culture thing I don't know I think it's just being okay with if you're having a bad day it's okay but not being afraid to reach out and ask for help whether it's from your your APCD and or your Peace Corps friends and or your trusted friends from your site. It's important to have all types of support, even if it's just one or two people, from Peace Corps and from your community, definitely also from your
1: community. And that's how I got through. I leaned on my friends when I had rough times. And I think we all had those rough times, and we definitely need that. And I, we mentioned this before, Selena was my person. Mm-hmm. And unless you have that person, service can be very, very, very hard.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Carol is my person as well. And I just remember I would text her, especially when I moved away. Because I started with a culture of very close Peace Corps volunteers in my region. And so it was like a very close niche kind of support system to then going where I'm the only volunteer anywhere near me. And so that one was definitely where I had to utilize like, okay, who can I call today? Like, who can I reach out to? And Carol for sure was one where I was texting pretty much daily like, oh, my God, this is what happened today. And just like venting. (laughs) about any hardships to get me through the next moment kind of thing <laughs> and I'm pretty resilient those venting sessions are so important
1: right totally and then you feel better usually after like okay yes it seems out of the norm but it's not and other people are going through the same thing as me uh, Elena I know your service was a few years back do you have any advice for those people that are considering doing Peace Corps
2: yeah I mean if you really feel it in your heart like go for it um Uh, And just to remember why you're doing it, it's not about us. I like to say that. It's not about us. Yes, we're coming in and like, oh, we a foreigner. Wow, the United States. But I really would like to say this, and sometimes this happens, whether you you realize it or not, we're not any better than anybody that we're, and I want to make that clear. Just because we're coming in and quote-unquote helping, no. Because we're not working for, we're working with the community, and that's at least with our sector. That's what they really, you Mm -hmm. know, wanted to like- emphasize so and also super important to maybe not have expectations because things are unpredictable um that's what i've learned living in various countries outside of the states in the united states in general i'm making a generalization and i've shared this with other people life tends to be predictable many times maybe not right now because all of the, the quarantine and everything that happened but in general i'd like to say that in many other countries that are um, quote unquote, still developing. I don't like that word like that, but life is unpredictable. So you need to be flexible and just be open to and
1: be adaptable. That's, I'm going to say adaptable is the biggest one. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that. Actually, today is a very good ex- example of how unpredictable life is because we were supposed to be recording this podcast like three hours ago and we didn't get to do it three hours later. So. <laughs> Selena was probably chewing her nails back in California thinking, where are this woman going to be home to do the
0: podcast? No, actually, I was having fun playing board games and I took a nap. So that is one thing I took from Madagascar is I take naps all the time and I took a nap pretty much every day when I was there. And so still keeping that tradition alive. <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Elena, thank you so much. I'm really happy we got to do this because I don't think we've ever really talked about our experience as Peace Corps volunteers, that mm-hmm. we became friends, and we every time we get together, we talk about our current lives, mm-hmm. you know, what is happening with us. But I never really got to uh, hear how was your experience or your telling DR. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate giving us your time today. And Yeah. I actually have one more to add about the personal health.
2: The one thing that can happen also is you need to eat health and you like eat healthy in general, but you tend to walk more. So I'll posit- I lost a lot of weight. Like I became healthier. <laughs> but I just wanted to mention that because <laughs> I when I entered and then at the end I didn't recognize myself. I wasn't like too thin, um, but that was a big big transformation that happened also and also to other people in Peace Corps. I don't know if that happened to you guys, I but do. a lot of people lost a lot of weight.
0: I feel like a lot of the men in our cohort lost like a ton of weight where it was like, whoa, like you lost a bit too much at times. And then I feel like for the women, some of them lost a lot of weight and others like me just stayed stable where we just nothing changed. (laughs) But I got fit. Like I walked a shit ton. And so I was able to get toned. I got very toned, but I just I never like fluctuated in weight. It was the strangest thing. Literally for three years, I was the same weight the whole time.
1: Okay, but I just wanted to mention that. Piece. I actually came home and I was. My sisters were like, "What happened to you?" Well, not my sisters because they had seen me, but my my other extended family, like my cousins and my uncles and aunts, they are like, "Carol, you're looking a little bit too skinny there." Because I had lost a lot of, like, my muscle. I used Mm. to, like, do a lot of weights back in the States. And then in in Madagascar, that was not an option. I ride my bike a lot. So that's why I became Mm. a bike rider. Okay. But, yeah, I had lost all my muscle. Mm. And when I came home, they were like, something is wrong with you. But it wasn't because I wasn't unhealthy. It was just, you know, life happened, I guess. (laughs) Right,
2: right. So yeah, but thank you for having me. This was super fun, and I hope it's helpful for future
1: volunteers. And um, it was nice reminiscing. She's just always so nice because it's such. This is where I feel it becomes part of who you are mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Maybe I don't know if it happens to everybody, but I do feel like my service changed who I am mm-hmm. as a person. And so I think that that's important to also um, bring it up because a lot of people think that service just ends when you leave country. Some people don't. They, they still carry that with them. And mm-hmm. I do feel like I, in my personal experience, I carry Madagascar with me everywhere mm-hmm. I go.
2: Yeah, I've been back two times to visit. Oh, nice. I'd like to go back another time. Yeah. Yeah, thank
0: you. Great. Thank you to you both. Well, thank you again. Velume. Goodbye, everyone. Bye bye, vedo me.
1: Ciao.